Welcome to Launch Into Teaching with me, Julia Padgett. This is a podcast for new and early career teachers who want to become the next generation of outstanding practitioners and teaching colleagues. This season is dedicated to teacher recruitment. I have spoken with some fantastic school leaders and they have offered up through their years of experience insights about teacher recruitment. They've all brought a very different approach to teacher recruitment. So even if you're not considering applying for a job in that sector, I still think it's well worth listening to their podcast because there'll be bits that you'll pick up across all of the episodes. Today, I am joined by Jacinta Sheridan. With almost 30 years in the industry, she has held many roles. First and foremost, of course, she's a teacher, but she's also been a year-level coordinator, a head of senior school, heads of various faculties, including geography, where she's also been a VCAR examiner. Currently, she's the deputy principal, head of campus at St. Francis Xavier College at Officer. Welcome, Jacinta. Thanks very much, Julia. Thanks for having me here. So, Jacinta, let's start by telling um, our listeners a little bit about the school setting that you work at. Yes, so St Francis Xavier College is one of the biggest Catholic schools in Australia. It's got three separate campuses, two of which go from Year 7, 8 and 9, and that's one of the ones that I'm in charge of. We've got that one at Officer where I'm in charge, the head of campus. We've got one at Berwick as well. And we also have a Year 10, 11 and 12 campus at Beaconsfield. There's about 3,600 students in total. Uh, the campus that I'm in charge of has just under 700 students and the other 789 campus has just um, over 1,000. So that's uh, about 1,600 that are at the, the uh, 10, 11 and 12 campus. That's an awful lot of teachers you must have to interview and recruit for every year. Yeah, it's actually quite a challenge. We have got a, a deputy principal who's in charge of that, in charge of employee um, engagement and growth. Uh, and we have an HR department as well, which handles most of that work. So we're very lucky considering the size that we have so many people who work in that area. So let's begin at the very start. So if I'm interested in working in the Catholic sector, where do I find jobs listed? So most of the jobs for our schools now go through SEEK. Um, we do, of course, still advertise through the AGE websites, um, but you can also find information for jobs in Catholic schools from LinkedIn, um, the Diocesan uh, websites, for example, the Melbourne Arch Diocese has Max, and the diocese that I'm associated with is called Dossal, which is the Diocese of Sale. Um, so they actually have their own websites as well, um, but most of the jobs are still advertised generically through SEEK as well. Excellent. And let's talk about the RE accreditation because um, I actually did go through the Australian Catholic University um, but didn't get my RE accreditation. So let's talk about what that looks like. Uh, if you could maybe explain to people what it is um, and then the sort of the prerequisites when you're looking for people. If they haven't got it, is it maybe something that's still considered? Okay, so... The uh, Australian Catholic University used to do a course where you could become immediately accredited to teach um, RE, religious education, in a Catholic school, and you would automatically be accredited to teach in a Catholic school. So that's two different things. One is to teach in a Catholic school and the other one is to teach RE. So to do those courses now, you have to do a particular part or a particular strand at um, ACU. You can also choose to do such studies when you finish so a lot of staff that we get are not yet accredited to either teach in a catholic school 
or to teach RE. They have to, um, it's one of the questions that we ask in an interview, are you interested in um, undertaking such a study? All those sorts of studies, we require them to be completed within the first five years of uh, employment. Schools do support you in that process. They might give you, for example, time. They've got people there who are RE accredited themselves who will support you through their understanding of the course and what's required. Um, there may, in some instances, be some sort of um, possibility of getting a scholarship to undertake study. Uh, different schools have and different dioceses have different programs that they run. Uh, basically, the question that could be asked in an interview would be, are you prepared to undertake such a study? And um, that could determine the outcome of the interview. Yes. Oh, that's great. Thanks for thanks for identifying. I didn't realise there was that two different um, almost strands. So it's the if you are prepared to teach RE and then there's the other, which is just to teach in a Catholic school. That's right. Excellent. And to, both of those courses, you don't have to be Catholic. So right. it's that- about the ability to actually um, speak to the Catholic values but not necessarily be Catholic yourself. Excellent. So that really leads well into my next question, which was in your years of experience, um, when you're looking to apply for whether it's your first job in teaching or whether it's, you know, you've maybe had a couple of years at one school, maybe you'd done your placement at that school and you'd been offered a job. What do you think is really important that people should look for when they're applying for a job? So obviously I know location, you know, proximity to home um, is always important, but what are some of the other things that, um, you know, potential applicants should really be considering when they're just starting to look through SEEK um, when they're applying for jobs? So Julia, you mentioned already the idea that you might have done um, some sort of placement at a, at a school. So I would be looking at Uh, reflecting on that quite clearly like for example was it a single sex school or was there a mixed gender because that can make a difference and uh, in the catholic system like in other systems you have a choice uh, in that area and some people are uh, really prefer to teach one gender than another Um, i've taught across all of the different um, sort of combinations that you can get Um, and currently uh, st francis xavier where i'm working is a um uh co-educational facility, which I'm really loving. Uh, It is interesting to notice that people have that preference and if you have a preference, you should follow that. There is also the idea, if you're going for a faith-based school of any faith, I would suggest that you can have different forms of um, observation or observance of the faith tradition. So some um, religious schools can be more um, liberal Uh, in their approach and that is something that you might like to consider you yourself might be quite conservative and if it's a liberal school that might not be a good uh, fit for you and of course vice versa as well you can find that out pretty clearly by speaking with perhaps the person who's in charge of catholic identity at the school or the faith identity at the school Um, and you can that might actually um, impact your level of comfort at any faith-based school at all So they're the things that I'd be looking at because they're the things that will make you comfortable in the environment when you start working. Excellent. And um, let's talk about the application process because this is always very daunting when you've left um, university and, you know, you don't have a very extensive CV to rely on in terms of years of experience. What are some of the things that you look for when you're looking at uh, application letters and CVs? What stands out to you? 
So I've looked through quite a few in my time, and I would actually say that it's not the length of the CV. In fact, if you haven't had much experience in teaching, I wouldn't try and pad it too much because it just becomes something else for us to read. Uh, what I would suggest you do, though, is you link what you have done with the idea of what you can use that for at school, at a, in a school environment. So, for example, if you've been um, a basketball referee in your prior life, that will show that you can um, diffuse conflict which is something that you're going to need in a school environment. So just a sentence saying if you've had part-time work, saying what the link is to that, um, the, the skills that you bring into the educational uh, facility that you're going to, that's probably stronger than the list of all the different things that you've done. No, I agree. I think, you know, I think you can look at the skills um, associated with whatever the role is, even if it wasn't in an education-based setting um, and, you know, list those on the CV. I think that still shows um, your ability to, you know, relate with others, to manage time, to be organised. They're all really crucial transferable skills into the, the realm of teaching. Absolutely. And the other one that I think people sometimes forget is their ability to take different roles in a team. So um, if, if it's a work environment, you might have been a person who um, followed the instructions of somebody else. You don't have to have been a leader. Um, so there are things as well. But the ability to get along with others in a team is really good. And that's something yeah. that you can bring out in the CV or even in your letter of application. Absolutely. Um, and let's talk about your top three tips. So everyone will have um, different things they look for in interviews. But what do you think, again, focusing on our beginning and early career teachers, what are some of the tips that you would give them? Probably my number one tip uh, for people who are coming to start their careers is you are not expected to know everything. So that's perfectly fine. The most important part of that is your willingness to engage in uh, honesty saying, I'm not sure how I'd do that. I'd be interested in learning it. This is what I'd be interested about that question that you've asked. Um, my second tip would be you already know what the questions are going to ask. So what I mean by that is there will be a question about um, student wellbeing and behaviour management. There will be a, a question about uh, curriculum. Uh, there will probably be a question about uh, how you work with others. Uh, or something that you've learned in your um, study that you're going to bring into the school. So they're the sorts of things. In a Catholic environment, there will definitely be a question that asks you, do you support the Catholic ethos? It's really important for you to know that does not mean that you have to be Catholic. It's do you support the Catholic ethos, which means are you prepared to speak in a manner that represents the college that you've chosen or the school that you've chosen to apply for? So that goes back to our original uh, questions and conversations about mm. making sure that you have found a place that fits where you're at as far as your um, your uh, liberal or non-liberal views. Um, that's really important in that sort of question as well. Yeah, and I yeah, think so just that's... I think getting on just adding on to that, I think just that notion of really doing your homework about the school in general, isn't it? I think it's so obvious when you are interviewing an applicant who has maybe, you know, and I understand, you know, you may apply for multiple jobs, um, but it's really important, though, that I think if you have made it to an interview that you have gone away, done your research, you know, there's not just the school website now, lots of schools have social media, um, even looking at, you know, LinkedIn as well, or, you know, just if you can 
click through and if their newsletters are publicly facing, I think some of those things can really help you to gain a picture as well about what the school's like. Um, Is this a school that, as you say, values-wise you're going to align with, but also is this a school that I can see myself actively contributing to? It could be in the co-curricular, it could be in the sport, the music domain, um, but it's really just coming into that interview knowing something about the school and not sitting there and sort of maybe even not necessarily having to ask questions about the school, but just it it can become quite clear in an interview if someone hasn't done their research. Absolutely. I, I really agree with you there. Sometimes um, people that I've interviewed have said things and I've thought, I think, I think that's a different school. I don't think that happened here. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting one as well. And if you're going for lots of interviews, that can be um, important for you to try and get your head around. And my third um, point, probably that my top of my top three is um, uh, it's linked back to that idea that we don't expect you to know everything and we don't expect you to have had every experience. The ability that you have to seek help and to ask for help is actually a strength. So you might need to be able to show that um, if you don't know the answer to a question, how you would seek that out. Now, you may not know the right name of the person or the role at that school, but you identify that I'm willing to go and ask and I'm willing to sit and uh, follow that up. Those are that, that can actually be a strength because you're sitting there um, across the table from somebody who knows how to do all these things already. They don't need you to tell them how to do it. They need to hear that you're willing to learn how to do it. So those are questions um, that really can show that you're going to be part of the team and you're going to be a success in the environment um, that they've advertised. So they're things that I'd consider. Um, Again, I just go back to the very first one. You don't need to be able to do everything already. That's That's great. That's great feedback. And your last um, tip there just reminds me of a question that we often ask um, our when we're interviewing beginning and early career teachers is we ask them to reflect on a lesson that they've done in their prac um, that hasn't gone well um, and you know what was it that you learned from that lesson because again we know you're learning we know you're not going to be every you know there's going to be lessons where they don't go to plan and that's okay but it's that self-reflection as you say it's that ability to go well what do I do now I don't know the answer something hasn't worked as I had anticipated it's that reflection on I can help by being by asking others for help and I can also um, acknowledge that maybe that's still an area I need to develop in and I need to maybe seek feedback from mentors I need to you know seek feedback from colleagues and that's all we could ask for at that start at that stage of your career is just that um, I suppose that self-awareness that yeah things won't go okay and we're and we as school leaders are really um, okay with that and we're very supportive um, of them on that journey good tips yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah what else should people look for just more generally so you know it might be when someone's reading a job description um it might be um you know after the interview so you know it could be as part of a contract sort of signing process like have you just got anything around that sort of area of um you know through from the very very beginning reading the job um in description through to the contract is there anything else that you've noticed that perhaps would be really helpful to share today? Yeah, one of the things, Julia, that I think would be really helpful for particularly um, a new, uh, a brand new teacher would be to ask what sort of support they offer for the VIT process. Um, It's quite an arduous amount of work in some respects because you are also trying to do all your lesson plans for the first time. 
So it's not as though it's too much work. You could have done it easily if you were still at uni, but you're not at uni. You are now working and you've got an ongoing life. So um, I would I really probably check into that at, at any school. What do they do to support that? They might, for example, allow, uh, all schools allow time. That's that's for, um, for sure. But some might um, uh, give you a mentor. They might give a at our school, we've got so many uh, new grads because it's such a large school that we actually have a program that we run through from the beginning of um, employment all the way through to when they've completed their BIT registration. So those sorts of things, that might be something that you could check what can the school offer to support. Um, I think the other thing that would be really important is um, if you're about to sign a contract is to really get your head around um, the well. In our, in our school, it's called the wellbeing um, policy, but just to make sure that... Um, you understand what is required as far as the student management. So um, there's all the um, official regulations and all the legal requirements that every school has exactly the same across the state. But each school has its own way of following up. So what does that actually mean? Does that mean that you're going to, for example, are you going to be responsible for running um, after school reflection times or detentions or something like that? Or does the person who's like the year level coordinator or the head of house, do they mainly run those sorts of things that can be a little bit overwhelming uh, when you first started in your school because it might even if you've been teaching for a while it might be very different to what you've been doing before so that would be something that I would really try and get my head around I wouldn't necessarily make it a deal breaker but no. it's something that would you it would be good for you to know about yeah it is isn't it because I think when you're you know signing a contract for the first time there's a lot of unknowns when you're reading a contract there's lots of you know very specific language around leave entitlements and um as you say professional responsibilities and I think it's also really um a good time to stop and sort of reflect on what the Victorian Institute of Teaching in terms of their code of conduct as well it's just an awareness that you are joining a, an industry where there is um obviously a code of conduct that we need to adhere to as well as school policies um which I'll be covering off in another season because I think they're really important I know not everyone yeah. loves them but I do um <laughs> so we'll talk about that's another season down the line and what about the applicant asking questions to the school I mean I always offer at the end of the interview um questions for us what would you recommend for the applicant? How many questions do you think it would be reasonable for them to, you know, ask of the school at the end? So I always like to ask at the end, um, do you have any questions for us or anything that you would like to tell us that you haven't had an opportunity to share? So I think it's really important that that is a moment that you could say something and share something that would put you as a great candidate that you haven't really had a chance to say, like, for example, something that you're very proud of that you've achieved. Um you might say, I haven't got any questions, but I would like you to know this, mm. for example, or uh, something like that. I would ask no more than two questions. I'm so glad so, you said that. Um, mm. I've done a lot of interviews recently where there's been a lot of questions, and I suppose my my take on this is very similar to yours. I think it's it's good to have that opportunity at the end to share something or perhaps to ask a clarifying question or two. But I think just as, again, someone who maybe hasn't gone through that professional interview structure is often um, interviews can be scheduled quite close together. So they may only have say mm -hmm. 10 minutes in between. You might be interviewing potentially for applicants for a teaching position. They're often scheduled fairly close together because at, at a very minimum, that's probably over two hours of someone's time. Um, and yeah, I think that just that awareness that if you sit there and have maybe five or six questions, you're not going to get through them simply because the interview 
you know, the people that are doing the interview will have other people lined up that they'll need to move on to. So I think it's also just that self-awareness in an interview. Pick really, I would say, no more than two questions as well, just from the time, from the perspective of time. And if there's something that's really burning, you can always contact, as you say, the HR manager afterwards, or you can always contact the person um, that interviewed you and just said, look, I've got a follow-up question um, and we'll go from there. Do you ever do lesson observations? I know sometimes there are schools that like to put candidates through um, a lesson observation. What are your thoughts on that? So we don't do lesson observations where I am currently. Um, I have been involved in them before in a different role. Um, I feel that they're very difficult. And the reason that they're difficult is it's, for me, it's a little bit false. So you Um, Even when I'm doing observations, once the people have arrived and started work with us, we do observations to support throughout the course of um, everyone's careers. Uh, Those are not typical lessons. No. The second uh, staff member in the room, it starts to change the dynamic. Uh, Also, I think the teachers try to make sure that they've got their best lesson or whatever to try and make sure that uh, the person who's in the room thinks that they're a great teacher. That's right. so I feel that they're a little bit false. Uh, one of the other things that does happen a little bit, uh, but it's further beyond in the career path, is you do a presentation of some description to the interview panel. And uh, that's an interesting dynamic as well. And I find that actually tells me a lot more about those people than I mm. had known before. Yes. It's also, if you have been given questions prior to the interview, which I know happens in some situations, do not think that's all they're going to ask. So they are questions that will branch into other areas and um, they're things that you need to be prepared perhaps in advance. They might have given you a sheet of information that they want you to reflect on. Feel free to bring that sheet in if that's the case. But um, I would also try really hard not to have too many written notes. I've seen people who get anxious, so they bring in lots of written notes. Uh, it's, It's more meant to be a conversation. Even though it's an interview, it is meant to be a conversation. You can have a couple of dot points. Yes. But I wouldn't bring in too much more than that either. Sorry, yeah. that's sort of a bit off topic from what you asked. No, I think these are all different dynamics that you can have in interviews. As you say, some schools may ask you to come in and um, run a lesson. You know, it could be your, they give you yeah. a scenario, you're teaching a year four class or, you know, year eight English class, this is the topic, let's see you do that. Just interested to hear, I think they're very time-consuming as well from a school's mm. perspective Like, and also very. there's an element of, um, I suppose, disruption to students' learning as well But if you've, if you've got, as I said, potentially three or four candidates that you're running those lessons with. Interesting to note, though, because I think these are things, though, that as a beginning teacher or an early career teacher, you may be asked to do that. As you say, it's part of the process for that school. Um, and it's also a good way for you to also find out a bit about the school as well. So it's it's a bit of a two-way benefit. I think they see you in, in the teaching environment, although I agree with you, Jacinta, perhaps not quite as natural as you would normally be. Um, but good for you to also meet the students and some of the staff as well. Hmm. And I also think uh, that's you just sort of t- touched on something then, Julia, which I think is something that we on the other side of the table need to take into consideration sometimes that when the candidate comes in, they are also interviewing us. So it's interesting to actually have, um, when you've walked out of an interview, the very first thing that I recommend a person does is sits down and just writes down the questions that they heard. So that gives you a great idea of what could be asked next time. And then to reflect on, did you feel comfortable in that room at that time? Because that's a pretty good indicator of whether or not it's going to work for you, if that's going to be where you're going to take up a job. Yes. You're going to be working with those people. 
And my final question, and we'll finish on this one, is feedback. So I very much understand applicants want feedback and I'm always very supportive um, to provide feedback to applicants. Um, It can be hard sometimes giving feedback to applicants though. Um, You know, it's sometimes hard to articulate specifically, um, you know, specific areas where they need to improve. What would be something that you'd recommend for early career teachers and beginning teachers with regards to receiving that feedback if you've asked for it and you've received it? Yeah, uh, definitely, Julia. That is uh, as giving the feedback is difficult. Receiving feedback is also difficult. I think my number one tip there is it is absolutely not personal. The worst feedback that you can get is you did really well. You just didn't get it this time because that's yep. there's no learning that can occur then. Uh, I would definitely um, want to hear something that I can do differently next time. So if they're not giving you any feedback that's really helpful to you for your learning, instead of saying what did I do wrong or what 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 should I what could I do differently is a yes. good question for you to ask to get feedback that could actually help you. Yep. Sometimes it literally is there was just a better candidate and it's bad luck. Yeah. Uh, other times it's you the question about child safety yes had this component that you didn't answer as strongly a, a stronger answer may have included this factor so those sorts of things um you know it might be that they've gone for somebody who's got more experience again you can't help that you haven't got no that's just bad luck yeah. uh, it might be they've gone for somebody who uh, has a connection to the school which may seem like a bias but it actually means that they know what they're getting. Yes. It also means that they know that that person understands the ethos of the school and that might be something that you need to ask about. Was it because you were concerned that I didn't understand the ethos of the school? So yes. when you're getting feedback, you can ask them questions as well. I think it's also hard because when you're in an interview, you're actually, you know, of course you're quite apprehensive, you're a bit nervous. Um, I know sometimes I give feedback around how well someone's answered a question um, and, you know, that might not necessarily be agreed upon by the person I'm speaking to and I think that can be very difficult but I think if there's been a panel of three people and the consensus is that you haven't maybe answered the question as well as you should have done or perhaps you misinterpreted the question and you went off onto a different tangent, it can be really hard as well to sort of hear feedback. Um, And so something like this, actually recording yourself responding to a question and timing yourself can be a really good way to sort of judge, have I answered it clearly, concisely and within um, a reasonable time? Um, I'm sure we've both been in interviews where people ramble for five minutes on one question and you're trying to wind them up or or get them to be a bit more concise in their responses. So it can certainly be all those things you mentioned. And I think it can also just be experience of being in an interview and how to answer interview questions. That in itself is a skill really, isn't it? The other thing I think also when you're receiving feedback, I just was thinking about it then when, when you were speaking, Julia, is sometimes it's really good to actually write down what the person's saying to you. So if you're getting feedback over the phone, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, don't argue with the person. Yeah, You don't have to agree with them. They're just giving you their opinion of what occurred. Um, So even if you've been successful, it's really um, part of the learning experience is to get feedback on the interview. So there would still be things that you can do better, even if you've been a successful candidate. So that's another important aspect as well. 
Absolutely. Well, Jacinta, thank you so much for sharing your experience today. Very much um, appreciated hearing your thoughts, especially from your um, very experienced background of working in Catholic schools here in Victoria. So very much appreciated. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much, Julia. Thank you for joining me today for this episode with Jacinta. I hope you found it helpful. Jacinta certainly shared some fantastic tips about the recruitment process that I hope you'll be able to use for your next interview. Please remember, if you like what you hear today, make sure you hit subscribe at Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts so you're the first to know when all my other episodes drop. The show notes can be found on my website, launchintoteaching.com.au. You'll also find a link to all my socials on the website, so do connect. I'd love to hear from you. And if there is anything you'd like me to cover, do let me know.